What I want you to do today, and, and really this is probably a good thing to do every week when you come to church, but what I want you to do today is I want you right now to just think in your mind, or maybe you, maybe some of you need to even say it out loud. I want you to understand that today's message is for you. It is not for your wife. It is not for your husband. It is not for anybody else here. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about some things today, and, and if you're like me, sometimes I'll listen to preachers and I'll think, mm, man, Donnie really needs to hear that, or boy, Sherry needs to hear that, or I wish so-and-so could hear that today because they are really messed up with that problem, and I'm never thinking about myself. Today, I want you to, maybe you need to stop right now and pray about it and say to God, God, I want you to help me to only think about who I am in relationship to you. See, today we're going to be talking about who you are in relationship to God, and I don't want you to worry about anybody else but you because you're messed up enough on your own without worrying about anybody else. And so today we're going to talk about some stuff that's maybe kind of heavy and, and maybe, you know, kind of bring you down or whatever. And it's not my intention to do that, but I, want, I just want us to all understand that, that, that we, we deal with God one-on-one. -on -one. And, and there's going to be a day that comes when we all leave this earth, and you are going to stand before God by yourself. Your husband's not going to be there. Your wife's not going to be there. There's no friends there. Your pastor is not going to be there. And it's going to be you and God. And so you already need to get in the habit today of dealing with God, you and God one-on-one, -on -one, and figuring out who am I in relationship to you? What do you want me to do? How do I need to change? And so that's the kind of message we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to continue our series today with, that we started last week called Reboot, where we are, um, we are talking about kind of making some comparisons between our computers and our life and that kind of thing. And I don't know about you, but there are certain words that strike fear into my heart. One of those words is tarantula. I'm afraid of that. If you were to say, if someone screamed out tarantula right now, and really I thought there was one behind me, service would be over, we would all go home, right? Uh, another one of those for me is audit. Uh, I've never been audited, but if, you know, if I ever thought I was going to be audited, I'd probably just move to Canada or something. I don't know. Um, the, the third one is virus. If, if I'm around you and you say to me, hey, we just had a virus go through our house this week, let me tell you, I don't do this, but what I want to do is I want to immediately run away, take all my clothes off, burn them, and then jump into a vat of Lysol. That's what I want to do because the last thing I want is a virus. And if it went through your house, I'm sorry, but I don't want it going through my house. Well, a uh, virus is, is bad in that sense, but a virus can also be real deadly when you get one on your computer. And it can lead to that blue screen of death that we talked about last week. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a computer virus or ever dealt with it, but it's, it's not a lot of fun. And, and if, you are, um, if, if you have a computer, one of the things that you need to have on it is you need to have some kind of antivirus software. And whatever, whatever kind it is you decide to use. But whatever, whoever you are, you need to have one on there. Because no matter how careful you are, if you don't have that antivirus software on your computer, you are running the risk of getting a virus that could do all kinds of damage to your hard drive and your emails and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that, that would be really stupid to do is just to say, well, you know what, I'm going to ignore that, and I'm just going to assume that I'll never get a virus on my computer, and I don't want to pay the $35 a year or, or whatever it is to update your, your antivirus software because you are ignoring that at your own risk if that happens. Well, we have some, something in our life, all of us do, according to Romans 3.23, 
all of us have something in our life that pops up from time to time that causes us problem, and it's called sin. And even if you have, have asked Christ to forgive you, and Jesus is changing you now from the inside out, just like the song we sang earlier, even as you are being changed, we still have sin that crops up in our life and, and, and causes us problems from time to time. And, and it can show up at the worst possible moments. And one of the things that we, sometimes we tend to do with our sin is, we, a lot of times we want to deal with it in two ways. We want to either ignore it or we want to justify it. We ignore it by just saying, you know what, that's just the way I am, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just, that's part of my life now. Go on with it. It doesn't even bother me anymore. And then sometimes we will justify it, and the way we justify it, this is always real smart, is we compare our sin to someone else's sin. Well, yeah, I know I'm really messed up, but this guy I work with, now that guy, he is messed up. You ought to hear what he did this weekend, that kind of thing. And, and that doesn't make any sense when you think about it, because if, let's, let's say you had a computer virus, and, and, and you decided, well, I, I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'm just going to justify it. And you'll say, yeah, I know I got this computer virus that, that killed all my email, but I, I know this other guy, he's got one that just totally destroyed his hard drive. Mine's not as bad as him. Yeah, yours might not be as bad, but either way, it has still messed you up. It has still slowed down your production. It's still slowed down what your computer can do. Sin is the same way. Sure, you can always find somebody else worse than you, but that doesn't mean that you're okay. Because we don't compare ourselves to someone else. Our sin, we are in comparison to Jesus Christ, who had no sin. That's who we are in comparison to. And so this, this antivirus software that you have to have on your computer, it keeps these things from causing problems. We need something in our life to kind of act like that for us with our sin. We need something that we can run a diagnostic check. We can run a scan on our life from time to time to say, where am I? What's going on? Is there sin in my life that's unchecked that something needs to be done with? And there are two things in Scripture that, that, I, that are all throughout Scripture, these two ideas that I think are vital to our spiritual health, and I think both of them can act like antivirus scans for our life spiritually. If we will implement these things into our life, they will help us they will help our production. They will help us to be the people that God wants us to be. Now, before I tell you what they are, and we're going to do them one at a time, I want you to know this. Everything in our society pushes against these two things. The two things we're going to talk about today will never come naturally to us in the society we live in. If we want to have these two things as part of our life, we are going to have to intentionally decide to do them. And we're going to have to intentionally decide, I'm going to go against what the rest of society says, and I'm going to implement these two practices into my life. The first one is this. Take some time off. Take some time off. If you're like me, I love, you know, I'm kind of like the old lover boy song, working for the weekend. I love weekends coming up. I love vacation. If I got a vacation, we had vacation in June to the beach. I started getting ready in February. It's like, yes. Vacation's almost here, even though it was a long way off. If, if you're like most people, you have these things that come up, and, and you know you've got a vacation, a weekend coming up, and it kind of gives you the strength to move on and, and to continue work until you can get to that day where you can go do those things. Well, there's, there's something in Scripture that, that, uh, that Jesus talked about and that was actually begun in the Old Testament that, that's like a vacation for us, and the scriptural word for it is Sabbath. 
The scriptural word is Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H. And maybe you're familiar with Sabbath as if you had some Jewish friends, and to them the Sabbath is a real big deal, and we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. But Sabbath, but Sabbath in the scripture is not a vacation like when I go to the beach or, or when I spend Saturday doing yard work. In scripture, Sabbath is a specific time that we set aside to focus on our relationship with God. A specific time that we set aside where everything else is put away so that nothing distracts us and we can focus on who God is and what he wants us to become. And this idea comes all the way back from the creation story. Genesis chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but look on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, when God was creating the earth, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. That's where the whole idea of Sabbath comes from. And then not only did God demonstrate that in creation, but then God later, he commanded that we take a Sabbath. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus is in the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. So right at the beginning, just go to your right. Exodus chapter 16. And in a minute, I'm going to read verses 28 through 30, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little story before we do that. While you're finding Exodus chapter 16, this is a story about the Israelites. Now, if you'll remember, if the, the kind of the history of the Bible was there was um, there was this guy and um, uh, named uh, Isaac, and he had 12 sons. One of his sons was named Joseph. He got sold into slavery. He went to live in Egypt. There was a bad famine. The other sons went to Egypt to try to get food, and Joseph was there, their brother that they had sold into slavery. And so Joseph said, just come here and live with me in Egypt. And the problem was they never left. They stayed in Egypt. They, should, they were supposed to get food and probably going back home, but they stayed in Egypt, and they became slaves to the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians used them to build the pyramids and all kind of other things. And so they were slave labor for the Egyptians, all these Israelites. But even as they were slaves, they continued to, to reproduce, and they became stronger and more and more. And so there were all these Israelites running around, and, and eventually it got to the point where the Egyptians could not even set them free because they said, if we do this, our whole economic structure will crumble. Then a guy named Moses, maybe you've heard of him, comes along. And God tells Moses, I want you to go free the Israelites. Moses was an Israelite. He had left town because he'd messed up and killed somebody. God used him anyway, so any murderers here today, God can still use you. And so um, if you are, um, don't let me know. I might be afraid of you. No, I'm just kidding. So Moses was, Moses was used by God to free the Israelites. And after they did that, now they're wandering around. They've left. And in Exodus chapter 16, it actually says that the place they're wandering around in is called the desert of sin. Not a good place to be. All right? If you ever find yourself in the desert of sin, get out as fast as you can. And as a matter of fact, that's kind of where we are today, and I'll talk about that in just a second. So they're wandering around in the desert of sin. Now, this is so typical of how we are as human beings. They have been free 45 days. The Scripture says that this happened on the 15th day of the second month. 45 days into their freedom, you know what they started to say? Man, I wish we were still slaves. That's what they said. They, in fact, they said, when we were slaves in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat. That's what they, now, I know they really did not sit around pots of meat. They were slaves. 
It wasn't like they got up in the morning, here's a pot of meat, sit around it today. No, they were working and being whipped and beaten and all this kind of stuff. But they began to complain. Why, why, you know, they said, we should still just be slaves in Egypt. We should have died there. While we were there, we had plenty to eat. We sat around pots of meat. So God said, I'll tell you what, just so y'all will shut up. That's not exactly what he says. That's kind of my translation of it. But he says, so I've heard your complaining. I've heard your grumbling. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide you meat every evening and bread every morning. Every day I will provide it for you, and you will know it has come from me. So what happens is then every evening about twilight, they come outside and there's quail on the ground everywhere. All they got to do is walk over and pick them up. I probably don't even have to shoot them. Just walk over, pick them up, and they can take them inside and prepare them. Every morning when they wake up, there's bread on the ground. And in fact, the Scripture says that the Israelites came out and, and saw the bread, and they said, what is it? And so that, that bread became known as manna because that in Hebrew, manna means what is it? And so they would come out every morning and they would have this. But then God gave specific instructions about this. This is what God told them. He said, only get enough bread and get enough meat to eat for one day. Now, why would God do that? I think the reason God did that is, is he wanted them to remember and to depend on him. He wanted them to remember that it was him who was providing for them. And so he said, don't get enough for four or five days. You get enough for one day. And then the next morning when you wake up, there'll be more bread out there. Get enough for that day. And now some of the folks, they disobeyed, and they tried to save it overnight, and they woke up the next morning, there were maggots in it, not something you want to eat. And so God said, listen, listen to me, enough for one day. But he gave a provision. He said, on the sixth day, get enough for two days and prepare enough for two days. Eat part of it, eat half of it on the sixth day, and then you'll have enough on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, that you won't have to go outside and gather any. And so they would wake up the next morning on the Sabbath, and every other time they had tried to save this stuff overnight, they would wake up and it would be ruined and have maggots in it. And the stuff they had collected on the sixth day when they wake up on the Sabbath, it's fine. It's great and ready to be eaten. But then he said, don't go outside to try to collect it on the Sabbath because it's not going to be there. And, of course, what did they do? Some of them said, hey, let's go out and get some more. And it's not there. And God said, what did I tell you? I told you there would be none outside on that day. And so then it gets to Exodus chapter 16, verse 28. And this is what I want us to look at. And this is when God is talking to Moses after some of them went outside to gather the manna and the quail anyway. And this is what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? See, he was serious about this business. He says, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now, let me say that again. That's what we're going to talk about. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now, I want you to fast forward several years till we get to Jesus. And I want you to look in Mark chapter 2. Go to Mark chapter 2 in the New Testament. Second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 2. We fast forward all the way to Jesus. Now, Jesus was, in case you don't know this, Jesus was kind of a rebellious guy, and he was all the time breaking the religious rules and traditions, and, and there was this group of people called the Pharisees. They didn't like Jesus at all because he was breaking their traditions and their rules. And, you know, he wore flip-flops and blue jeans to church, and they didn't like that and those kinds of things. And so he never cut his hair and, uh, you know. And so Jesus is walking around with his disciples, 
in the book of Mark, and look what happens. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 23. One Sabbath, when you're not supposed to be out gathering anything, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, before we go to verse 25, let me tell you a little bit about the Pharisees and what had happened since Exodus. God gave the rule about the Sabbath, right? That was God's idea. Don't go out, don't gather the food, those kinds of things. Well, just like we do from time to time, the Israelites began to focus more on the rule God gave instead of focusing on God himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? They began to focus on the rule and the regulation instead of focusing on the God who gave the rule and what the meaning was behind it. And so in the thousands of years that had passed between Moses' day and Jesus' time, they have added all these extra rules and regulations to this. And it had gotten so bad that the Pharisees even would decide how many steps you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath. And so you would get up in the morning and you'd be counting steps because if you had got, and I guess if you were away from home when you ran out of your steps, you just sat down and waited till the next day. I don't know what they did. But they, they were so regimented about this Sabbath idea. And then not only, and then they did what I told you I have a tendency to do when I hear messages and I don't want you to do today. They didn't think about themselves. They were always looking at, well, let's see what everybody else, ooh, that person's breaking the Sabbath. That person's breaking the Sabbath. And they would cause these people problems and try to get them kicked out of church and all these other things. And so when Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they see some pick some heads off the grain, and it's not like they were out there, you know, taking a whole acre of, of uh, grain and, and bringing it in and, and, and bringing it into the barn. They were just pulling some of them off. They were immediately, they jumped on it, the Pharisees did, and said, look at them, look at what they're doing because they weren't concerned about themselves. Listen how Jesus responds. Look at verse 25. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. This is an old story that all the Pharisees knew about King David, who was the greatest king ever in Israel, when he was being chased by Saul, who was a current king, and he was out in the wilderness, didn't have anything to eat. He, took, he and his men were hungry. He took them into the, the holy place, and he ate the, the food that was only for the priest to be eaten, even though that was against the religious tradition. And he did that to meet the need, the physical need they had at the time. And God did not hold that against him for doing that. And so Jesus brings up that old story to them to pretty much put them in their place. But then look at what he says next, and this is what's so important for us today. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, what did God say in Exodus 16? He said, the Sabbath is for you. And what did Jesus just say? The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, this whole idea of taking some time to be alone, just you and God, this whole idea of not doing something maybe one day a week or or one week a year or something like that so that we can focus on our relationship with God, we fight against that all the time in our society. It's not natural for you. You know what is natural for you? If you're running behind, it's natural for you to work on Sunday. That's what you want to do. If you're running behind at work, it's unnatural for you to come in here and sit here and listen to me run my mouth when you're thinking, I could be, I could be cleaning out my inbox right now. 
I could be trying to collect some money. I could be getting ready for tomorrow morning when I know I get to work and I'm going to be slammed with all this stuff to do. It's not natural for us to take Sabbath. But God has told us, listen, I'm not asking you to do this because I want to run your life or, or I want to cause you problems. I'm giving you this as a gift. I have made this day for you. And instead, we, we think, you know, I'd rather burn out than rust out and, and that type of thing. But when we do that, when we refuse to take time away to be quiet and to be us and God, we are leaving all kind of sin issues in our life unchecked. And it's like having a computer without virus software on it. And you don't have any idea what's going on until one day it'll crop up and you'll have a big explosion and have a problem on your computer. And the same thing will happen to you if we never take Sabbath, if you never take time to be alone with God, and ask Him and try to figure out who you are in relationship to Him, then you've got all this sin issue in your life that's unchecked, and you won't even know it's there a lot of times until one day there's a big problem, and then everything blows up. And you think, why am I even reacting like this? What is going on? It's because you have not checked it. Now listen, let me tell you what this doesn't mean, because I know what happens when I preach a message like this. Some of you are planning on calling me tomorrow and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that thing I've been doing at church for a while. I'm going to take some Sabbath off. I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm not talking about quitting and sitting in the pew, or not the pew, in the, in the auditorium seat and not serving at all. That's not godly either. What I'm talking about is as we continue to work. See, God never told the Israelites, hey, don't do anything, just sit around and I'll provide for you. No, they were still working. There were still things they were doing. But what he was saying to them is, take one day a week and just relax and talk to me and let me talk truth into you. But he never told them to quit everything. So I'm not talking about stopping working. We're still going to work just as hard as we ever worked. But we are, as we work, we are going to find specific times that we are going to say, I'm going to take this hour of this day. I'm going to take this day of this week. I'm going to take this week of this year, whatever it might be for you, and I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to get my mind right with God, and I'm going to figure out who he wants me to be. Now, I want to ask you three questions. And if you've got, if you've got something to write with or write down, I would encourage you to write these three questions down because you're not going to be able to answer them right now. And if you don't, I'm going to put them on my blog tomorrow, all right? I've got three more questions I'm going to ask you in a minute so that you can go on there then and, and print those off. That's a shameless plug to get uh, people to read my blog. But anyway, so I'm going to put those on there tomorrow. But I want you to write these questions down because here's three questions I want you to ask yourself because here's the thing about Sabbath. I can't look at your life and know if you're doing this or not. There's no way I can, but you, and, and I'm not supposed to. This is for you to do. Question first question is this. Ask yourself this. How comfortable are you with silence? Anybody getting uncomfortable yet? Had some silence there. How comfortable are you with silence? Do you always have to have something going on? Radio playing, TV on, have something always happening? Sometimes I find myself doing that a lot. You know why? Because I don't have to think. I can think about whatever they're talking about. And I, can't, I don't have to think about what God might be wanting to tell me. How comfortable are you with silence? Second one is this. Could you spend a day without TV, the Internet, or your cell phone? And when I say a day, I mean 24 hours. Could you go 24 hours, no TV, 
No internet, no cell phone. You don't check an email. You don't go on Sports Center and see who won or lost the game. You don't update your Facebook status or your Twitter or anything like that. You don't send a text message. You don't answer a voicemail. Could you do it for 24 hours? Only you can answer that question. And then the third question, now before I ask this third question, let me remind you of something I've told you before. Just because I stand up here and I talk about this stuff doesn't mean I got it all together, okay? Because when I ask you this third question, this one convicts me like crazy. You are in a room with nothing but a place to sit in your Bible. How long can you last? Five minutes? Fifty minutes? Could you go an hour? There's no TV. There's no iPod for you to listen to music to help you get in the mood. It's just the Word, you, and a place to sit. How long till you fall asleep? Some of you are like me. You're thinking, dude, if I sit down, I'm out. I'm gone. How long could you do it? Those are some questions that we need to ask ourselves when we think about this idea of Sabbath. And as we think about it, remember over and over again, the Sabbath was made for you. God's not doing this to bring you down. This is God's gift to you. Now, second issue is this, that I think we need to have this in our life, and that is this. Second one is this, admit when you're wrong. Admit when you're wrong. See, the Sabbath, if, if you spend time in Sabbath, any time spent in Sabbath should naturally lead us to confession. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we see confession over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but we, I believe we live in a world that is short on confession. People get caught doing stuff. They only confess after every avenue of denial has been shut off. They begin by saying, I didn't do it or I didn't know I was doing it. When I took those steroids, I didn't know they were steroids. Or when I went to Argentina, I was, do, I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail until a reporter comes and meets me at the Atlanta airport. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And some of us, some of us would even say, and I've heard people talk about this, people that don't like Democrats or don't like Bill Clinton, they'll say, yeah, confession died in our country when our president at the time shook his finger at the camera and said, I did not have sex with that woman. Confession died a long time before that. And here's why. Confession is not natural for us. As a human being, it is not natural for you to stand up and say, you know what, I blew it. I messed up. And even when we do that, we want to make it sound a lot better. Well, I'll get to that in just a second. But it's kind of like, did, did any of you used to watch Happy Days growing up? I was a big Happy Days fan. You know, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Watched those every week. And um, the Fonz was the coolest guy ever. And you remember how the Fonz could never say he was wrong? Do you remember those episodes? He would go, I was, I was, you know, he couldn't even say it. He couldn't make himself say he was wrong. And that's funny, and we all laughed at that, but we're more like that than we want to admit because none of us really want to admit that, that we messed up or that, that we've got all kind of issues and that kind of stuff. Our sinful nature that, that is always warring against the, the God nature in us, it works against confession, but confession is key to spiritual health. If you want to be spiritually healthy, we've got to confess. We've got to confess our stuff to God. And 
I, I almost didn't want to bring this up, but I think it's just too good of an example to ignore because this is a real serious message. But um, when you eat food, it's got to leave your body, doesn't it? If you don't, you have a real problem. It's called constipation. And then you need like doxidan or something, you know, when nature needs a helping hand. Remember doxidan? Confession, confession for us should be the net. You, you've got sin that's coming into your life. You've got sin that's a part of your life. You need to be getting that out. You need to be confessing that to God. If not, you get spiritually constipated. And, 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 you, and you, you can't live like that. You can't function like that. You, you, can't, you can't go around and be the person God wants you to be when you're holding all of this junk inside of you that's supposed to be exiting you, that you're supposed to be willingly getting rid of. And I'm going to tell you, and, and if you've never done it, you might not believe me, but those of you here that have will believe me, there is something that happens that's unexplainable when you are totally honest with God about your sin. When you tell him, just, just right to his face, God, this is what I've done. And it was horrible. And that's the kind of person I am, and that's what I've done. And something unexplainable happens, and, and there's, a, there's a passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms. I want you to open the Psalms. It's the middle of the Bible that I think... If we can read this verse by verse, we can understand a little bit about why confession is so important. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. Psalms 30, uh, Psalm 32, excuse me, Psalm 32, starting with verse 2. And this is a psalm that David wrote. And if you know anything about the story of David, he was a guy that had some pretty big stuff to confess. Adultery, murder, some pretty, pretty big-time stuff. And he wrote this psalm, and I've got to think that a lot of it came as a result of this, this relationship he had with God after he was so honest about what he had done and how God responded to him. Look at Psalm 32, and I'm going to read this and kind of go verse by verse and stop here and there and talk about it. Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit and in whose spirit is no deceit. We know Romans 3.23 tells us that every single one of us have sinned. And you know, if you were honest with yourself, that you still struggle with sin. In fact, if I asked you, and, and you were honest, when was the last time you had sinned, chances are most of you in here have not gone 24 hours without committing a sin, including me, Okay? It's, a, it's, part, it's part of our struggle that we struggle with on this earth. Jesus has forgiven us of it, and we can ask him for that forgiveness, but the struggle is still there. And so we know we have sinned. So if we act as if we have not sinned, if we refuse to confess, what are we trying to do to God? We're trying to deceive him. And in Psalm 32, too, it says there, Blesses the man in, in whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, we're not trying to live as if, as if we're clean, but we are being honest about who we are before God. Then look at verses 3 and 4. It says this, When I kept silent, in other words, when I wasn't confessing, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When Jesus left the earth to go back to heaven, 
He said that he was going to send something to us after he left. Remember that? Does anybody remember what that was that he said? I will send something. The Comforter. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit, not a blanket, but the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, part of what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit is a comforter to us. And when you're in difficult days, when, when you're struggling, the, it is the Holy Spirit that gives you that sense of God is here. Everything's going to be okay. But one other job that the Holy Spirit has for those that are followers of Jesus is the Holy Spirit convicts you and it convicts me of our sin. It reminds us of the fact that we have messed up. And so when it says there that your hand was heavy upon me, it's talking there about, about the, the Spirit and how the Spirit has convicted him of sin. And then look at verse 5. It's where things really start to get honest here. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now we're going to stop on verse 5 for just a minute because there's two things there that I think are really important. The first one is the word acknowledged. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you. You know what that, that indicates, that word there indicates? Is that he wasn't telling God anything that God didn't already know. When we confess our sin, we're not giving God new information. You never have confessed a sin and God said, oh man, I didn't know you did that. Where was I when that happened? God knows it all. God was there when you did it. If you committed adultery, God was there in the hotel room. He, he's right there the whole time. He's never left us. And so when it says, I acknowledged my sin to you, it's, it's saying that what has happened for, the guy, for David who wrote the psalm is that he is finally getting honest about who he is. I'm not covering it up. I'm telling you who I am. God, you already know this, but I'm going to say it out loud to you and tell you what I've done. And I love the next part there. It says that, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. You know what we do is we have words for things to make them sound better than they really are. Like the word affair. I mean, an affair sounds like something I want to be a part of, you know. Hey, let's get dressed up and go to an affair. It's going to be awesome. But an affair is this fancy word that we've created so that it makes us feel better than, say, an adultery or had sex with someone I'm not married to. And so an affair sounds a lot cleaner, nicer, and kind of it rolls off the tongue. And, and we, that's, what we, that's the way we do with all kinds of things. We want to slide over the top. Now listen, when we start confessing, if we're really going to confess, and we're really going to get this garbage out of our life, We've got to be just like the psalmist is there in, in verse 5 where David said, I did not cover up my iniquity. When you tell God what you've done and you are brutally honest and say it out loud, and maybe it's something that when you did it, you knew it was wrong, but then when you say it out loud to God, you, you realize then how wrong it was. Because when you're talking to God and you say, God, I... I looked at internet pornography and there were pictures there of men and women doing things and, and I looked at that and I enjoyed it. And when you, you begin to say those kinds of things out loud to God, then all of a sudden you begin to truly understand the weight of that sin when we don't cover that stuff up. Because it'd be a lot easier to say, God, you know what I did, please forgive me for it. Then we just kind of skate on by. And God does know what you did. 
Or God, forgive me of lust. Lust is bad. But when you are specific, God, forgive me of lusting after my boss. I'm very attracted to him because he's a powerful man. And my husband at home has just lost his job. When you say it like that to God, then all of a sudden you begin to understand how far away we are from what we need to be. And confession is so important for us to begin to agree with God. And here's why, and, here, and here's the greatest part about confession. Look at the end of verse 5 there. It says, I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Why, why does God forgive us? Does he forgive us because we confess? He forgives us because Jesus died on the cross. It's not our confession that brings forgiveness. Because if it did, then if you forgot to confess, you'd die and go to hell, which would be bad. One, I forgot to confess one thing 30 years ago, and now I'm in hell. No, Jesus died, and he forgave all sin when he died for us. So confession doesn't earn us forgiveness. So why do we confess? We confess so that when we do that, when we say those things out loud, we realize our need for Christ on a daily basis and we realize how great He is. When you say those things out loud that you've done that are so dirty and so vile and you say them out loud and you don't even want to voice them out loud to God, when you do that, then all of a sudden you realize He loves me anyway. It, it, all of a sudden we get a, a bigger picture and a better understanding of who He is and what the cross really meant. Because if... if we did look at internet porn or we did commit adultery, we did steal from our boss at work or we did all of these different things. We did beat our wife or, or our kids or all these things that we think, I don't even want to say that out loud. I don't even want anybody to know those things about me. And we did those things and Christ died for you anyway and he loves you anyway. Then all of a sudden as you confess that, you begin to understand, I'm very unworthy, but God is very great. And, and, as unworthy as I am, he is greater than that unworthiness. And he can take me, and he can take me from this garbage that I'm living in, from all these things I've been doing, and he can lift me up and give me the life that I'm supposed to have. But we cannot ignore our sin. We have to confess it. We need to say it out loud. Because as we do that, it's a healthy thing. It relieves our guilt. It draws us closer to Jesus. Jesus God, God didn't give us confession to humiliate us or to hold us down, but he, he gave it to us so that we would be aware of our need and then we would declare our dependence on him because we can't take care of our own sin. Now here's three questions I want to ask you about confession. And I want you to write these down or look at my blog tomorrow because only you can answer these. When talking to God, are you honest about your sin? Are you honest about your sin when you're talking to God about it? He already knows it, so you might as well be honest. But are you honest in the words that you use and the way that you talk about it? Second one is this. What are you trusting in to earn your forgiveness? Because if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus to earn your forgiveness, you won't be forgiven. Only Jesus can forgive us of sin because only he paid the, the price on the cross and rose again. And then the last one is this, and I think there's probably a lot of you in here that are struggling with this. Is there something that you've been carrying too long? Is there a sin in your life? 
Maybe it's something that you do on a daily basis, a weekly basis. Maybe it's something that you did 30 years ago and you, it, you just can't let it go. And you've been carrying the guilt of that. You've been carrying the shame of that around with you day after day after day. And it affects your relationships. It affects your job. It affects everything about who you are because you've been carrying this stuff around with you. Have you been carrying something too long? Because the first step to unloading that stuff is confession. It's being honest about it with God and saying, God, you know who I am. You know I've messed up. This is exactly what I've done, A, B, C, and D. And I can't take care of it. I'm only asking for your forgiveness through Jesus because I can't earn it myself. I want you to bow your heads. I know this has been kind of heavy today and maybe you want to go home and take a nap, not even go out to eat after what I've done to you. But I just want you to be honest right now. And the first thing is, if you have never confessed your sins to Jesus and have never asked Him to forgive you, that's the starting point. You need to begin a relationship with Him. If you need to do that, I want you just to lift up your hand and I'll see who you are. Nobody else is looking around. If you say, yeah, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. I haven't ever done that, and I'm, I'm pretty messed up. Raise your hand. Don't be, don't be shy. Nobody else can see it. Okay. Now, if you need to do that, I will, I, you can pray this prayer. And it's not the magic of, these words aren't magical, but it's just you need to mean this, these things in your heart. And you can pray something like this. You can just repeat it after me, quietly there in your seat. Jesus, I know I have sinned. And I ask you to forgive me because you died on the cross for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. I'm not perfect, but you are perfect. And I trust in you for my forgiveness. Amen. Now, if, if you prayed that prayer, I want to know who you are before you leave and just talk to you a little bit. Now, if, you, if you're already a follower of Christ, don't walk out of here today and say, whew, well, that was a good message, and then go on and don't ever think about this again. Take some time this week. Think about those six questions. Are you working Sabbath into your life? Is confession a daily part of who you are with God? Because if it is, then you are going to be more productive you are going to be able to uh, be the person God wants you to be. But if, if it's not, you're never going to be able to live up to who God wants you to be because this sin is going to continue to crop up and going to continue to cause you problems. i tell you what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say, you're messed, more messed up than I am. Go ahead. Because I know that's what you've wanted to say the whole day, so I was glad to go ahead and let you do it. <laughs>